All right. Woo. I love that video, man. Isn't that fantastic? It's funny to say, but things like that are worship too. You know, we're in the series Holy Roar, the series on worship. And it's so easy to limit worship to just these times that we come together and sing. But worship is so much more than that. Worship is a lifestyle. It's a life that hungers and thirsts for righteousness like we see in Matthew. It's in the way we love our enemies, in the way we love our neighbors, in the way we make beautiful, creative things like that. But today we're talking about praise. And praise is a very special thing because it's something given to us by God for our good and for his glory. Praise is something that we can do. We all have different experiences with praise. Some of us may have grown up in churches where praise was very reserved, very somber. And in some churches, maybe you're doing backflips and blowing ram's horns and speaking in tongues. I don't know if any of you came from that background. If you're newer to church, maybe this whole idea of praise doesn't make much sense at all. We're going to fix that today. (laughs) Praise is special because it's something designed by God for us. And last week we learned that we praise God because of who he is and because of what he's done for us. And that's great. Learning to recognize the way that God works in our lives every day and praising him because of it is an act of spiritual discipline. It keeps us centered. But what if there's even more to the story than that? What if praise isn't just on the far side of victory? What if praise is how we get to victory? What if praise is designed to be before and through the struggles that we see in our lives? I want to talk a little bit where I think we run into trouble with praise, and I think the biggest thing that we run into is fear. We have a fear that our situation's not going to work out. Maybe that God isn't going to help us because we're undeserving. Maybe fear that we have no control over our situation. But as we're going to see today, that's exactly what praise is designed for. If anyone had an excuse to feel that way, it was Paul. Let's look at Acts 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So if you don't know the story, just before this... They cast a demon out of a lady and were thrown in prison for it. So not only is he shackled up, thrown in prison because of nothing that he did on his own, it's because he was actually doing God's work. How many of you in that situation would praise God? I'd have trouble. But yet they're singing hymns to God. They're praising even in this situation. There are a lot of great stories like this in the Bible, but the one I want to look at today is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is the story of Jehoshaphat. And it's a fantastic story. Open your Bibles up to Second Chronicles or open up that Bible app. We're going to be hanging out here for the rest of the day. So let's jump right in. After this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. So let's look at these first two words after this. There's a lot contained in these two words. In chapter 19, just before this, we see Jehoshaphat start to lead the people of Israel back to God. He appoints judges and rulers, and he commands them to serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. See, previous to this, we see what we see throughout the entire life of Israel, ups and downs, good kings and bad kings, people serving God and then serving idols, people trusting in God and then trusting in man. But Jehoshaphat was a good king, and he's working to restore that proper worship. And you see what happens. Right after this, war is declared on the nation. These three nations come together for the sole purpose of wiping them out. How many of you know that when we start walking toward God, when we start making the right decisions, that the enemy is going to attack? Yes. (laughs) But we can learn that we can praise through that opposition. We can praise against that opposition. Praise is for this very thing. 
Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar. So the word Judah, we're going to learn a fun fact together this morning. The word Judah actually means praise. It comes from the Hebrew word yada. And this is the word from which we get the example of raising our hands in worship. We see this in Genesis. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah, for she said, now I will praise the Lord. And you can't help but see already a picture of the enemies of the Lord's people coming up against praise. So Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. Yes, it would be. And he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat was scared to death, as he should have been. Three mighty armies coming up against them to wipe them out. But he set his eyes on the Lord, and he did not falter. He knew something that we learned very early on in the Believe series. This is one of our memory verses. Let's see if we can remember it. Psalm 121.1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's try that again. Go back to a blank and see if everybody remembers it. Let's try this. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat understood. He begged the Lord for guidance in the face of fear. The first thing we learned from the story is that praise seeks the Lord. And praise seeks the Lord even in the presence of fear, even when things seem out of control. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. There's a confidence in the Lord that's already here, a trust in the promise that when they do what God said, when they come before him, they stand in his presence, and they cry out for help, God is going to be faithful to deliver them. It's interesting because God could deliver them either way, right? Yes, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> but he gave them something to do. He gave them a place to come physically stand before the Lord. That's the next thing we learn from this, is that God desires our praise. God has given us praise as an action to take. I was at a church last week. We visited some family in Oklahoma. And at the end of the service, uh, there are altars. I don't know how many of you are familiar with altars, but there are a place at the, the front of the auditorium that you can come and pray, a place that you can ask for prayer. And God doesn't need altars to commune with us. But there's something about that posture. There's something about coming and kneeling down before the Lord, getting down and intentionally praying and seeking the Lord's guidance. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God doesn't need it. When God commands our praise, it's not just for him. When God tells us to give our money, it's not because he needs it, but so that we find our treasure in God. These things God has designed for us as actions we can take that are ultimately beneficial to us. But though God doesn't need our praise, he pursues it, he requires it. 
because of this. Because it's not only for his glory, but for our good. It says in Ephesians 5, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or Psalm 29, Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. I can't help but think of God a little bit like a parent when it comes to this. When you have... You do something for your kids. You make your kids do something that they don't necessarily want to do because it's good for them. Maybe eating your vegetables, learning to brush your teeth, things like that. For me, it was piano lessons. I got dragged through years of piano lessons, kicking and screaming, forcing teachers into early retirement. (laughs) But I love playing the piano now. It's a life-giving thing. It's my way that I can worship and commune with God. And I'm so happy that they did that. Aren't you happy your parents taught you to do those things? Maybe it's eating your vegetables. That's a bad example, isn't it? (laughs) Aren't you happy they taught you to brush your teeth? Positive habits are often cultivated under discipline, but they grow into things that are beneficial for us. And that's exactly what God is telling us to do with praise. Look at verse 9. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. God's designed praise because it's not in the absence of fear. It is the very prescription to our fear. And now we see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade these nations when Israel left Egypt, so they went around and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do but we are looking for your help. He says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's the next thing we can learn from this, is that praise has its eyes on God. Even when it seems impossible, praise is that way that we can focus in on God and his mission. So all of the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children. The Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. Do you notice who's listed here? All the men of Judah, their wives and their children. So that's everyone. Everyone came to stand before the Lord. When we think about this gigantic creator God that we serve, it's easy to start to feel inadequate. And rightly so. God is the all-consuming fire and we are sinners. But when we come before God humbly in submission, things will always go well. And we can learn something else important about praise. Praise is for everyone even when we aren't perfect, like all of us. Praise is not for those who have everything nailed. In fact, praise is exactly for us that don't have it nailed. Do you think the people in this story had it nailed? No. Jehoshaphat's leading the people back to God. He's appointing these judges and rulers because some of them aren't doing the right things. Yet they all come and stand before the Lord and praise. So, jumping back in. All the people are gathered around. The Spirit comes on one man. And he says, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. 
Let's look back at verse 15. This is what the Lord says, Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for this battle is not yours but God's. There's probably one person in your life that you just can't stand to ride in a car with. And I bet they're the nicest person every other time. But when they get in the car, they turn into the dreaded backseat driver. (laughs) Telling you to use your blinkers. You're going too fast. You're going too slow. Don't hit that squirrel or we'll die. (laughs) We often do the same thing with God, don't we? We're happy to get in the passenger seat. As long as we can reach over and grab that steering wheel, we're even happy to hop on in the back seat sometimes, but he's still within earshot. We want to we let him know what we're thinking. This is what I think should happen. The best thing you can do is hand God those keys, walk around back, get in the trunk. That's our next villain, get in the trunk. I thought that would be fun. That's all you're going to remember. That, that boy told me to get in the trunk. But God's not doing that because he's a control freak, right? God's doing that because it's better, because When we let God drive, when we understand that his plan is better than our plan, and when we let him take over, we can rest in him. That is why God desires that. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. So, after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. So what seems wrong about this? He put the singers out front. He put the worship leaders in the front of the battle. You can just see these guys ready to fight with their shields. And he says, no, we're going we're to put the singers out. They can go first. Anybody on my team up for that? <laughs> Unless the Moabites are afraid of skinny jeans, <laughs> nothing's going to happen. It seems backwards. And they're going into battle seemingly without any sort of military strategy. But they're praising God for the victory that they know that he's promised. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. They didn't even have to fight. I think it's fair to say that you don't mess with praise and you don't mess with what God has planned. You remember the story of Jericho, Joshua 6. The seventh time around when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. If you aren't familiar with that story, spoiler alert, the walls come crashing down. It's awesome. Paul and Silas that we talked about at the beginning, they're locked up in prison. They've cast out the demon. They're praising God. Then the earthquake comes and the prison doors fly open and their chains come loose and they're freed. We see over and over again in the Bible that praise precedes the victory, that praise is an integral part of victory. It's a weapon that we have in this battle. Then King Jehoshaphat went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it all. I love this because God didn't just deliver them from battle. There was such a greater reward than they ever could have imagined on the other end. We get really short-sighted 
when it comes to these things in our life. We see this one problem in front of us and we say, God, please just help me with this tiny thing. And he's saying, yeah, but I've got this. This is a million times better than you could ever imagine. Stop worrying. Give me the reins and praise me because I'm going to do it. Amen? Amen. Now, let me clarify. If you're dealing with something in your life, I'm not saying throw away your pills. This isn't prosperity gospel. But I am saying trust God because he has a better plan for your future than you do, and he will be faithful, and we can praise him because of that. Like Jehoshaphat's decision to put the musicians out front, how can we partner with God practically to do that? How can we come alongside him and trust in him and praise him for the victory? The simplest way we can talk about praise is that it's, it's an expression. And Brian did a great job last week. He said that praise is best defined as enthusiastic applause. Woo! That's a great image. I love that. We live lives of expression, don't we? The joy that comes from the birth of a child, the sadness that comes when we mourn a loss, the anger that comes when somebody cuts us off. We live lives of expression, at least we do, when it comes to everything but God. And I wonder why that is. When I think about praise, I think about, it's about a year, I don't know, a year and a few months ago. We go out to lunch with my parents. They were in town, and we were going to tell them that we were pregnant. I mean, and it took forever. There's been a huge amount of buildup to this. We've been keeping it, keeping it a secret. We're sitting at a table at Red Robin, the Red Robin over by where our church used to meet at the movie theater. We tell my dad, and you have to know him, he jumps up and starts screaming in the middle of the restaurant. Woo, yeah! He's so excited. And right, that's completely appropriate. That's exactly what we would think he would do. It's great news. So what if I told you that the God of the universe, that the creator of everything is working all the time on your behalf? What if I told you that the victory is coming? What if I told you that the things you haven't even thought of yet, the problems you haven't even run into yet, he's already got it fixed? Amen. And that's praise. I wonder sometimes if we see so little victory in our lives because we have so little praise in our worship. Because we fail to ascribe to God the glory due his name. Because we fail to say, thank you and I trust you and I know what's coming. As the band comes out, we're going to do just that. We're going to worship together. And I'd like to challenge you today to praise God. To praise God with a confidence that he's always working and that he's conquered the battles you haven't even run into. In sickness, to praise God because he's a healer. When you're scared, praise God because he's a protector and he's your hiding place. Praise God because he has a way better plan than you do and there are wonderful things coming.